Spirit, and I told you last week I had too much to cram into one message, so I needed a, I needed more, and um, you know the Pentecost experience um, had to be a difficult one to anticipate and then to explain afterward. When we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, we are venturing into territory that our words sometimes fail us to fully understand, to explain, or to comprehend. Um, you know, it's in the realm of the supernatural, which simply means above and beyond that which is natural. Uh, there's a great interest in the supernatural. If you turn on a lot of these cable channels now, you got ghost hunters. You got all these shows about paranormal activities. And when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, um, it conjures up a lot of different thoughts in people's minds. I remember as a child, I grew up in a church where um, the pastor called the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost. And when you're a child, that's kind of a tough image to get the mind around. Uh, in fact, every time the pastor would say, Holy Ghost, I couldn't help but think of Casper. <laughs> well, because, I mean, there's two kinds of ghosts, aren't there? You know, I watch Scooby-Doo, and there's that ah, kind of ghost, you know, that make you want to pull the sheet over your head. And I said, like, well, surely the Holy Spirit's not that. And then there's Casper. Nice little friendly, caring ghost. Because it's hard to understand. 
And that's why I want to take another run at it for a few minutes this morning. I want to read the same scripture I read last week, Acts 2, 1 to 4. And then I'm going to show you a video. Uh, two years ago, there was a television series called A.D. And it was kind of the book of Acts uh, made into a television series. And I thought the way they depicted the Pentecost experience was very good. And uh, I want you to see that. So let me read the scripture first and then we'll show it to you. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. John, wake up, all of you. Mm. Wake Come. What are we doing? We're praying. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily one. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. tried to describe the Pentecost experience, he focused on two images, wind and fire. He was not the first one, however, to describe the Holy Spirit as wind. Jesus did the same. Back in John 3, 8, when Jesus was having a conversation with Nicodemus, he said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is alluding to the freedom of the wind. The wind blows where it will, when it will, however hard it will. 
Man has tried to harness the wind. But the wind is free. And so is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God goes wherever God wills, does whatever God wants. And there is no power on earth or under the earth <laughs> that can diminish the Spirit. Jesus told his followers, he said, it's good for you if I go away. And I'm sure they objected and said, no, Lord, we want you to stay with us. But on earth, he's physically limited. He can be in one place with one group of people at one time. He said, if I ascend to the Father, I will send the Spirit. And the Spirit will be with you always. The Spirit of God can be with everyone in every place at any time. There are no limitations on the Spirit. And so the wind is a good image for that. And when the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, they heard the sound of a rushing, mighty wind. And they saw fire. I've been watching a, a fairly new show on the History Channel, Forged by Fire. Anybody watch this show? We got a few here. I, I've always been kind of intrigued by the, the work of a blacksmith. You know, the way they heat up that metal and they take it and they put it on that anvil and they just pound it out and, and the sparks would fly. Well, on this show, it's a contest for master blacksmiths. And they usually form some kind of weapon. It's a sword, a knife. Um, and they, they all begin with just some crude pieces of metal. And over the course of the show, they take this steel, this metal, they put it into the forge, and they heat it red hot. And when it gets red hot, then they take it out, and they either hammer it, or they have this large press that comes down and starts to squeeze it and stretch it. And, and, and they can mold it, they can shape it, they can bend it. When the metal is red hot, it is pliable, it is workable. And I hope you can see a correlation between what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life. It's the image of fire because the Spirit comes into us to heat us up. The Holy Spirit wants our spirit to be red hot for the Lord. So that He can hammer out our, our pride. He can hammer out our independence and make us want to follow the will of the Lord can burn away impurities and he can shape us and mold us and bend us to his will and his way so that we become more and more like Jesus. But then on the show, once they have the, the red hot metal pressed out, pounded out, shaped, molded, desired thickness, everything they want just right, then they do what they call quenching. They take that metal and they shove it down into a thing of oil. And it not only puts out the fire, but it hardens that steel. So it will no longer be bent or, or, or shaped. It's hardened and it will stay right where it is. Now that's where the parallel ends because the Holy Spirit never wants us to be quenched. 
In fact, in 1 Thessalonians, let me find it here. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Or some translations actually say don't quench the Spirit. Because in this life, we're never going to reach our final shape. We're never going to be fully like Jesus. And so it's a constant process of pressing, shaping, molding, moving us ever closer. So instead of the fire being quenched, he wants the fire to stay. Is our spirit hot for the Lord? We need to keep finding ways to turn up the temperature. Coming together in worship is meant to increase the temperature. Every time we read God's word, every time we pray, every time we turn on a, 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 some Christian music and listen to it, every time we meet together with a brother, sister in Christ and, and lift each other up in our faith, we are turning up the heat. Things like the seven days of prayer, the reason we do those kind of events is because we want to turn up the heat. We need to keep the fire hot so that the Spirit can continue to mold, to shape, to bend us to God's will and God's way. In Ephesians 4.30, it says that we should not grieve the Spirit of God. And what grieves the Spirit of God is when we choose to disobey Him, when we sin against Him. Can you just imagine how grieved the heart of God was when he looked upon his creation, Adam and Eve, after he told them they could have anything in the garden except the one tree. And he watched as Eve reached for that fruit. As she turned it in her hand while it's still on the tree, listening to the snake deceive and lie. And then she plucked it. And then she ate it. And then she took it to Adam and had him eat it. The heart of God must have broke because he knew that their relationship would never be the same until he did the unthinkable, sending his own son Jesus to die for their sins. Sin grieves the Spirit of God. It quenches the fire and begins to harden us Maybe not a lot at first. A little sin here, a little disobedience there, a little independence following my own will rather than God's. But each one hardens me a little, hardens me a little more and a little more till finally the Holy Spirit is not able to do God's work in my life. And that grieves him. So I hope we can hold on to these two images. Wind and fire. The freedom of the Spirit to move. The force of the Spirit that cannot be stopped. And the fire of the Spirit that continually seeks to keep us on fire for the Lord. So that we can become more and more like Jesus. I ended last week by saying we need to keep praying. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. What you did at Pentecost, do it again. Keep saying that prayer every day. You know, I didn't do something at the start of the service this morning.
I didn't have you say, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Well, as you acknowledge each day as the day the Lord has made and as you're glad in it, then add to that the prayer. And Lord Pentecost, do it again. Keep filling. Keep heating. Keep shaping. Keep making us more and more like Jesus. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for recording in your word the Pentecost experience. Not as a historical event to be just remembered and celebrated, but as something to be sought after in our own lives. Continue to send your spirit upon us, to fill us with your spirit. Forgive us when we quench or grieve your spirit. And give us the strength we need each day to allow the spirit to work in us and through us to accomplish your good will. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In order for the Holy Spirit to do his work in you, you have to receive him. And in order to receive the Spirit, you have to receive Christ. And so each, each week we have an opportunity for you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, to be baptized in his name, to receive his Spirit in your life. If that person would be you, I would invite you to come this morning as we're going to stand together and we're going to sing hymn number 323.
long we are. 